Everyone, my name's Jack, and I have the privilege of reading the Bible for us today. And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on where the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things within your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to them, sorry, he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call the righteous, but, sorry, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I remember boarding the plane in Canberra for a two-hour evening flight to Adelaide, uh, feeling awful from a fever that had just sort of erupted out of nowhere in the airport. Except that I was walking around the airport with no shoes on and trying to get cool, and the kind staff at the bar had given me a cup full of icy. Uh, Icicles and 
which I carried onto the plane. I sat down and I just wanted to sit in my window seat and just sort of switch off and feel awful. The guy came down and sat next to me, was very friendly, introduced himself as a young, uh, well-dressed guy with a, just nothing but a small satchel that he was carrying. I don't remember his name or what God is talking, uh, but he said, um, he asked me if I was returning home to Adelaide. Strange enough, he didn't ask me if I was going on holidays to Adelaide. Um, I was returning home to Adelaide. No, I didn't actually come from Adelaide. Uh, I was travelling from a student Christian conference in Canberra where we were learning how and training in how to understand the gospel and explain it to people. There you go. Thought I'd put that out there with him to see where that was headed up. Whereabouts are you returning? I said. He was returning to work in Adelaide after being overseas, uh, marrying his boyfriend of some years. Uh, and would I like to see the photos? Uh, it wasn't a huge aircraft, but it was large enough to fit now an elephant that was in the cabin. Um, I'd love to see the photos, thanks. Uh, what's his name? And where did you meet? Where do you go from there? Well, I don't know how he got there, but the conversation quickly turned to problems in the world. Let's deflect it away from maybe personal difficulties or whatever it might be. Problems in the world. Greed, inequality, lack of love, lack of generosity. We all agree. We both agree on all of those. Uh, even Bill Gates and Windows-based computing. We agreed was a problem in the world. <laughs> we both use Macs. <laughs> but we fumbled at locating what the biggest problem was and why. What's the biggest problem in the world and why? And why was it like that? I suggested to him that it's all the result of shutting the door on the maker who made us, who made the world, and made us to live in relationship with him such that when you shut the door on the maker who made the world to work in a certain way and that we decide how the world works and how it should be operated, that problems start to creep in. And that's why there are problems in the world. I thought it was a pretty good explanation. But it was met with not so much disagreement, but just a blank, I said words, but exactly where they hit, I don't know. It was as though I'd not really said anything at all, it just didn't register. And then it hit me. He captured in a look what the whole world, or much of the world, is thinking. There are problems in the world, problems plural, but there's no underlying singular problem, singular. There are many problems, many symptoms that we can point at that are wrong with the world out there, but there's no at heart fundamental problem, and certainly not with me or with us. What's the world like? Let me get you to do, discuss with each other. Something that might be rather inane, but it'll get you thinking. Is the world more like burnt toast in its problems, or is it more like mouldy bread? 
figure. There's two stages to this. You have to work out what each is referring to, and uh, as well as which one it is that you actually think. So there you go, you can be creative. I'll give you a minute. One or two are ready then. <laughs> It's more like mouldy bread. Who wants to say it's more like burnt toast? Oh, great, we've got disagreement. This is good. Uh, uh, who wants to put a word in for the, burnt, for the burnt toast? We'll go to the burnt toast people. One of you guys can put your hand up. Why is the world in its problems like burnt toast? I don't think I can remember who you were. So. Is it because the, the whole thing's ruined? Like, there's not really any good parts. Because the Bible says that no one is righteous. So. The whole thing is ruined. Yeah. Who went with that side of the argument, the burnt toast people? Yeah, good. This is why I need to have this conversation. Uh, okay, mouldy bread people. Who wants to run that argument? The world is more like the mouldy bread. I like that. I like that. Whether I think that's what's happening, uh, I like that. I like that. Uh, are you doing nutrition? No, you're not. <laughs> Any nutritionists here? Dietitians? Dietetics? At all? Oh, we need some more. What's the problem with the mouldy bread? <laughs> Can you remove the mould? You actually can't remove the mould. Once you see the mould, so I'm told, it's all through the whole bread. But here's a little tip. With, with burnt toast, you can scrape the <laughs> Which says that you've never burnt toast. And he has. <laughs> What's the world really need? The problems scraped away? Or is it actually... Well, despite what we can see and can't see, it's actually through the whole lot. You actually can't get rid of the mould that's in there. Well, what's the world really need then? Let's see what <coughs> Jesus has to say and how Mark puts it to us. Mark, in his Gospel, is announcing... This is going back to last week, if you weren't with us. Mark, in his Gospel that he writes, is announcing Jesus as God's appointed ruler over the world. God's appointed ruler over the world. 
He tells us that in the title at the beginning of Mark, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God is a, is a ruler title representing humanity to God and God to the world. He tells us in the title who he is, but what Mark does throughout the book of Mark is he shows us what it looks like for Jesus to be king. So we know he is king from the title. That's then shown to us what that looks like and to prove that he is. What sort of king is he? We saw last week that he's the invincible king of Psalm 2, which is referred to in his baptism. But he's also the humble, suffering servant of Isaiah 42, and following that was mentioned at his baptism. He's the invincible king, the humble, suffering servant, sort of king. How is his kingship and his kingdom established? It's through the speaking of the message of the king. It's not through the marshalling of armies or political power or alliances uh, or even just clever ideas. It's through a message of the kingdom of God coming. And so at the end of the last passage that you don't have printed there for you, but it's in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus says, let's go to the other towns. He turns his back on going back to the town to heal people that have been gathered. He says, no, let's go to the other towns and preach, for that's why I have come. And so we jump into this passage, under point two on your outline, be clean. We jump into this passage when a leper shows up, verse 40. A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. What do we see here? Well, we see Jesus' compassion for a sick man. But there's a lot more that's happening here. Because Jesus then goes on to remind him and remind us readers what the law of Moses says about getting confirmation from the priest that you actually are clean of leprosy. There were laws about this. What did, uh, and so one of the laws was to get a sort of a tick of approval from the priest that you are clean. But if you did have leprosy, and there's a whole chapter on it, actually there's a few chapters on it in Leviticus. You can read about it in your own time, maybe not while having lunch. Uh, it's not nice reading. Uh, but what did Moses say about leprosy? Well, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean. Unclean, or maybe louder. Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. To be a leper is not just to have a disease, an infection. It's to be alone, to be left alone, to live alone outside of the camp. Now, some of you are introverts and think, that's heaven. <laughs> no, it's not heaven, is it? Even for an introvert. You're outcast. You're on the outer. 
you're, you're recognised as being an outcast. You have to declare yourself to be that. No one can come near you, to, no doubt not passing on the infection. It's more than just a disease. There's an identity thing here. You are not part of God's people. You are not part of the community. So what Jesus does in restoring this leper is to restore his identity as part of God's people, of being able to join with God's people. In fact, back in the Leviticus passages, it says a person, a leprous person. In Mark's Gospel, he's defined or described as the leper. Imagine calling somebody by their disease that they have. Here comes the infected. <laughs> if you've got the flu, yeah. oh, look, here comes an infected. Uh, it's awful. But now he's no longer infected. Jesus has restored him in an instant by speaking a message, a powerful message. I will be clean. And instantly he's clean. In a strange twist, I'm not sure if we're meant to notice it, but as a result, the man goes out speaking about Jesus and what he's done, even though Jesus said, don't do that, please. Verse 45, as a result, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places. Now, Jesus is outcast from town. He can't go to town, not because of any leprosy, but because he's hunted down by people. He's alone in the wilderness. Or is he? Or is he? Because, well, let's see what happens. Point three, your sins are forgiven. Jesus returns to town and to a crowded house with no more room. But notice where he returns from at the end of chapter 1 in verse 45. He was out in the desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. He was out in the wilderness, but people are coming from all around. And such that when he goes to town in Capernaum, the, the house that he returns to is crowded with no more room. <coughs> verse 2. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them, by four men. Well, Jesus in the, in the room, what does he do in the house? He preaches the word to them. Get the theme that's coming through in Mark's Gospel. We'll see it again in the next section. He preaches the word to them. Again, what he teaches is not recorded here by Mark. Or is it? Well, let's see. The four men carry this paralytic. Notice he's not a man with um, paralysis. He's a paralytic. He's defined by his problem. They can't get in. I imagine they probably, it's a crowded house. They're not really going to get a guy, four people carrying a guy through a crowd. Um, just a tip, if you do have to get onto a crowded train, um, if, you, sorry, if you have to go to the airport with your overseas luggage, don't try to do commuter trains and get on with, do it outside of commuter time. This is like trying to get onto a, commu a completely full commuter train with luggage. Uh, it's just not going to happen. And so what do they do? These, they must be young guys because they decide to do something which is like 
ludicrous. <laughs> Stupid, they say. Let's take our crippled friend onto the roof. Let's take him onto the roof. So they take him up onto the roof of the house. And then they decide to dig a hole in the roof of the house. And there's a few surprises that happen in this passage. Um, and actually the momentum of the passage is pushed along by these surprises. And one of them is this hole in the roof that happens. Um, it's a surprise to us. It's, uh, sorry, it's not much of a surprise to us. We read about it, but it's a surprise to the people in the house, no doubt. Uh, Jesus is obviously interrupted. I mean, someone's digging a hole in the roof of this house. Uh, he's not going to get much out in terms of his whatever he's preaching about. No doubt, bits of whatever the roof is made of is falling everywhere through people's hair. Uh, if you worry about your hair, uh, it's going everywhere. No doubt, the owner of the house is probably getting a bit vocal at this stage. Like, what's going to happen? Are you guys going to repair this? And the guy ends up at Jesus' feet. And everybody is watching. What's Jesus? Is he is he going to be angry? You've just interrupted and wrecked the whole thing. Or is he going to show compassion? Jesus says, "Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven." Another surprise, and rather disturbing. The religious leaders are disturbed. They're in the house, packed in. Verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? There's a problem. This man, Jesus, has just declared a man's sins forgiven. I don't know if you've ever done that. I don't know if you've ever thought to do that. To say or dare to say to somebody, for whatever you've done, God forgives you. You are forgiven. And you might have actually said that to somebody, but on what basis? Say, um, <coughs> say I ask Ryan to borrow his car, and so thank you. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> so I drive out Ryan's gate and I slam the car into the pole uh, across the road. Straight into it. Sorry about that. I don't think you've got a pole opposite your place, do you? No. Not anymore. Uh, not anymore. Um, but Tim then comes to me, because Ryan's rather upset, and says, don't worry about it. Don't worry. It'll be fine. Just, just forget about it. Let's go grab a coffee. Thanks, Tim. That's cool. Um, nothing I need to worry about. There's a problem there, isn't there? There's a problem there, isn't there, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a problem. Uh, how can you declare on the basis of, well, you've got nothing to do with it, Tim, that I don't have a problem anymore? There's nothing to answer, there's nothing to pay. There is no problem. That's exactly the problem that's happening here. How can this man say and speak on behalf of God that this guy has nothing to answer for, his sins are forgiven, he's free? How can he do that? They're actually right to question like this. Of course, the man himself is still on the ground. And he's probably a bit confused himself as this little sort of discussion is happening. Probably looking around and saying to people, what did he say? Like, Jesus, 
Do you do legs? I've heard that you do legs. <laughs> Forgiveness of sins is great, but I'm after legs. We thought you could do legs. <laughs> he can do legs. But what he gives him is forgiveness. Which raises another surprise, is who is this? It's a theological surprise. Jesus is putting himself in the place of God. Only God who can forgive sins. Who does Jesus think he is? And now he shows the extent of his authority and a glimpse of who this man actually is. Verse 8. Immediately Jesus, perceiving his, in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? Which is easier to say? There you go. Uh, there's something for you guys to think about together and chat. What do you think is easier to say? You've got it there in verse 8. Is it easy to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or rise, take up your bed and walk. I'll give you 30 seconds on that. Easier to say your sins are forgiven? It's got less words in it. <laughs> <laughs> I can ask for comments. Um, I'm not fixing your car now. <laughs> Who wants to say that get up and walk is easier to say? Jake. Okay, already. Who wants to. Jake, why don't you give us your. <laughs> <laughs> Is it easier to say uh, your sins are forgiven? No, to rise up and, and walk. Um, Do you want to think about that a bit more? No, I think that's about that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Does someone want to answer on behalf of Jacob uh, why it's easy to say to the paralytic, get up and walk? Is it because only God can forgive the sin, but maybe there's someone else other than God who can heal the paralysis? Maybe. Mm. Did you guys hear that at the back? Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because only God can forgive sins, but maybe other people can deal with paralysis. All right. Who, want, who says the forgive sins is easier to say? That's probably you guys. Or you as a group. Yeah. What? Uh, I mean, look. There's, there's no proof required for sins to be forgiven. So I can say, Ben, your sins are forgiven. Done. Day's work is done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're both easy to say at one level, um, but and both of them are difficult to do. Well, one is 
difficult to prove. Uh, the other one, if, if you pull it off, it's very obvious. But the big question is, can you pull it off? Like if you go for the rise, get up and walk, and nothing happens, you've gone down, haven't you? <laughs> but if you say your sins are forgiven, and you can't pull it off, well, who are you answerable to then? Jesus says, to show that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What does Jesus do? He heals the man, restores his legs, doesn't need physiotherapy. He just runs out with his mat or maybe walks out through the, the, through the crowd. That's, it is miraculous. He didn't just sort of have a good moment. It was truly miraculous. But is that what Jesus was trying to do? Yes, it was. But to show what? To show that he, as the Son of Man, has authority to forgive sins. And the crowd recognised this too, that he, he, they, he has authority from God. Because what do they do? They're amazed. And they say, we've never seen anything like this. And they glorify God. They don't say, Jesus is a wonderful guy. Look at that. They say, God is amazing. Look what he has just done. And they are saying more than what they probably think. It's not just God through this man. Here is God as man, the son of man, who has all authority on earth to forgive sins, and he can pull it off with a word. He does preach a sermon. Get up, take your bed, and go. The leprosy and the paralysis are gone. But cleansing and inclusion and forgiveness are what's really needed for the leper and for the paralytic. But to what end? To what end? Verse 15 picks up the next thing. And as he reclined, we skip over the um, what happened with Levi, as Jesus reclined at table in his house. It could actually be Levi reclining at table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What's Jesus doing through this whole section? And then finally, with eating, with tax collectors and sinners? All of the outcasts are included. All of those who were once rejected, all of those who don't belong, all of those who know they have problems are able to be included with Jesus the antisocial outcasts the tax collectors are, are sort of like local traitors for the for the Romans maybe perhaps like drug dealers or convicted pedophiles or something like that 
the sinners are those who are just notorious in the community for their sin. Uh, and I don't know, we, we probably have lots of different categories of, of them around us. I think I wonder sometimes whether smokers are like that these days. Uh, the outcasts are excluded off campus, down that little space just near the, near the bus um, waiting area. Anti-vaxxers <laughs> or trolls or, or what it might be, those who are outcasts. Jesus gathers them in here and eats with them, and many are there. And we're shown that Jesus is God's king, the invincible king, the sovereign king, who's come to call sinners back into relationship with God, into fellowship with God, such to this picture of eating together, of reclining. It's a relaxing thing, relaxing with Jesus and having a meal with the king of all the earth. The righteous don't get it. Because those who are righteous won't think that they've got a problem. And those of us who have been Christians for many, many, many years are in danger of considering ourselves the righteous just because we are. We just always have been. We'd be there in the feast with the king. No, the Pharisees who are there, they don't get it. The scribes of the Pharisees... They're not, they don't want to be part of the, the kingdom, feast, because they don't think they've got a problem. Those who know that they have a problem, those who know they're part of the problem, enmeshed in the deeper problem that is in the world, it's part of them, they are the ones who will reach out to Jesus and run up to Jesus like the leopard does, falling at his feet, saying, can you make me clean? They're the ones who have to be let down through the roof who know that we can't fix ourselves and need something from outside to fix the problem that is in me and knowing that Jesus as the king has the authority to do that and is willing to do that so Jesus says he's not come to call the righteous people who don't think they need help the righteous but sinners so where is it at with you in that picture with the guy on the plane uh, the words that flashed into my head in that conversation and straight out of my mouth was the problem in the world is really with me the problem's with me Uh, in my thought world I could be racist sexist and probably many other labels as well and I don't even recognise them perhaps there's a problem is within me and I need God to do something to fix me. But we just went very quiet after that. There was no real response. But people in the world need to know that the problem is deep inside. We won't fix it by scraping away the surface problems, though that will help. The whole thing needs to be changed. Perhaps you've done that. Perhaps you've asked Jesus for forgiveness, maybe many years ago. Uh, the question is, how are you going with speaking the word that brings forgiveness and cleansing? <coughs> how are you going at sharing that with others? And just had our uncover Mark's gospel, uh, reading Mark with someone else. Terrific way to be able to just open what Jesus has done 
and who Jesus is with people is by reading this with someone. It's so easy. Um, if you want to find out how to do that, then go to visit a local faculty group in your area uh, and find out how to do that or come and talk to one of the staff workers or, or me. Um, but if you know that you have cleansing and forgiveness, uh, then share that with others by getting, introducing others to Jesus. But perhaps you've never done that. You know that you need to. Simply got a prayer that you can pray uh, if you want to do that. It says, God, I recognise that I've been rejecting you. Thank you for sending Jesus to cleanse and forgive. Please forgive me. Please cleanse me from my sin. Please accept me into Jesus' kingdom. I want to pray that. If you want to pray that, then you pray silently in your heart to God. Let's pray. God, I recognise that I've been rejecting you. Thank you for sending Jesus to cleanse and forgive. Please forgive me. Please cleanse me from my sin. Please accept me into Jesus' kingdom. have done that there is a little way that we can get back in contact with you please in, just indicate that um, you've prayed that prayer you can write it on you know on the thoughts on the back that I'd like to speak with somebody more um, and we will follow you up and we'll help you in whatever way is possible we're going to spend a short moment in praying and Anthony's going to lead us in prayer thanks should I use the mic yeah Hey guys, I'm Anthony, I'm a first year (coughs) and engineering student and um, we're going to pray now. Um, Prayer is just a time where we can talk to God, have a uh, conversation with him, um, directly to him, so let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for the opportunity of prayer, thank you that we can come freely to you Lord in conversation. through uh, uh, the death of Jesus on the cross. And uh, we pray for uh, Uncover Mark and those who are reading uh, Mark's Gospel with others, uh, especially those who uh, don't believe in you yet, Lord. I pray that you would be with those uh, reading with their non-Christian friends, uh, that they would be able to share your word to them, and that those uh, hearing the Gospel for maybe the first time would um, come to understand who you truly are. Uh, we also pray um, yeah, for the mid-year conference coming up. We pray that that would be a good time to yeah, just delve into your word, Lord, um, and yeah, understand more of it. I uh, pray for the prep team as they uh, organise all the uh, yeah, everything that needs to be organised. Um, be with them, Lord, um, yeah, as it, uh, the date uh, needs. Pray uh, for the churches in Nigeria, Lord. We've heard about the terrible events that have been happening there over Easter. Uh, we pray um, for those, uh, the families affected by the um, killings over there, Lord. Be with them and be their hope and comfort. We also pray for the wider community and uh, yeah, the wider church community there. Um, yeah, we pray that people wouldn't live in fear and hatred, um, but in hope and love for those, um, for, for you and for those who persecute them. 
We also pray for um, yeah, the local partners who are helping support those uh, persecuted Christians in Nigeria. Uh, we pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Amen.